Let's say you have a big announcement. How are you going to make that announcement? Well, it depends, right? Some things you're just going to put it on Facebook. Hey, everybody, here's what's going on. Other things, though, require something more formal. You buy fancy cardstock. You have it embossed in fancy calligraphy script. You are invited to the wedding of. Other announcements, though, you, you might just handwrite it on a note and, and, and hand it to me or to Sean or to Terry and say, hey, can you announce this from the pulpit? Well, what about God? Let's say God has a big announcement to make, uh, an important message He wants to deliver. How's He going to do that? And, and speaking of deliveries, any of you still waiting on a Christmas delivery? You're hoping that package shows up tomorrow. It's not going to. Oh, no. Well, Merry Christmas anyway, Ralph. Well, God had an announcement to make, a message to deliver, and it was so big and it was so important. He couldn't just trust it to FedEx. He couldn't just trust it to UPS. Speaking of which, did you see the thing on the news with the UPS guy stealing the presents? That was not cool. He couldn't just trust it to to the post office. No, it was a big enough announcement. God used Angelgram. He had to use heavenly messenger to deliver this message. And and that makes sense to us. We're thinking, well, hey, if you're God and you want to deliver an important message, of course you're going to use an angel. That part we get. What can be a real head-scratcher, though, is when we start thinking about, well, to whom did the angels make the announcement? A couple weeks ago, we saw that it was a bunch of nobody shepherds, a group of guys that nobody would have thought twice about. There were no mayors, there were no megastars, there were no millionaires, there were no dignitaries, no diplomats, no distinguished persons of any stripe. Well, if it wasn't the people that made this announcement a big deal, then maybe it was the place. It was the location that was significant. And we start thinking about, well, what were the significant places early in the first century? Well, there's Rome which was the political hub of the empire. There was Athens, which was the cultural center. And for the people of Israel, Jerusalem was their spiritual home. But the angels didn't make their announcement in any of those places. In fact, they didn't make the announcement in any significant place. It wasn't in Alexandria down in Egypt. It wasn't at Caesarea by the sea. It wasn't up in Ephesus in Asia Minor. No, instead the announcement was made in Mayberry. You know, a little two-bit, one-stoplight town of Bethlehem. But what we have seen over these last few weeks is that God did it the way He did it. He did it where He did it. And He did it with whom He did it for a reason. And what I want to do this morning is, is kind of rewind the tape, if you will. I want, I want to back things up and revisit a part of the story. What we have done so far is we've been looking at all these human characters, each with their own story, and, and how their stories have played a part 
in the greater Christmas story. And we've looked at what can we learn from each of them. But what I want to do is back the tape up and, and listen to part of the story again. But this time, ask the question, what can we learn from the angels? You know, normally we think of, well, we can learn from the, the, the examples of the humans involved, right? The shepherds, the wise men, Mary, Joseph, last week, Simeon and Anna. But is there something we can learn from the angels themselves? And I think for those of us who are believers, who believe in the message of Christmas, who, who we understand all of that, that what we're going to find is that the angels do have something to teach us. We can learn from them. And the first thing that we learn from the angels, and, and this especially concerns this idea of expressing Christmas. How do we express the idea of Christmas in our lives? The first thing we learn is this, that we need to communicate the good news of Christmas. We need to communicate the good news of Christmas. Proclaim, share the good news. The angel says to the shepherds in verse 10, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I bring you good news. Five words in the English NIV. Five words all translated from one word in the Greek. And I don't normally give you the Greek words, but I want to show you the Greek word here. So go ahead, put that next slide on the screen. It's the word, I know that second letter is a U, but it's pronounced this way, evangelizomai. Because in that ancient time, there was not a separate U and a V. It was the same letter. And this word literally means good news, happy announcement, glad tidings. This was the announcement, the, the, the proclaiming of something positive, of something good. And from that word, when this was first translated into the Old English, the word that was used was a word that we don't have anymore, but it was the word Godspell. Godspell. Now, guess which word we get from that? Gospel. Good news. All right? So, evangelizomai, gospel, gospel, good news. But I want to back up to to that Greek word for a second. Look at that that word, evangelizomai. Does that sound familiar? Does that look familiar to you? Evangelism. That is the word from which we get evangelism. Now, I know as soon as, as I say the word evangelism, some of you all are breaking out in hives. Because some of us as Christians, we have this instinctive, gut-churning fear of evangelism. But evangelism simply means good news, to share good news. And that shouldn't be difficult. That shouldn't be a hard thing to do. Anybody can share good news, right? A 10-year-old girl can share good news. An 85-year-old lady can share good news. A ditch digger can share good news. A road scholar can share good news. That shouldn't be hard. Our problem with evangelism, though, is we don't see it as good news, do we? No, we see evangelism as, as, you know, cornering somebody and putting them on the spot and and, and tightening the screws on them. 
We see evangelism is, is knocking on the doors of strangers or, or buttonholing a captive audience on a plane or a bus and, and then hitting them over the head with Bible verses. We see evangelism as, as walking around a college campus with a bullhorn telling everybody they're going to hell. We see evangelism as, as getting into arguments and winning debates. We see evangelism as, as that one guy in the family that, that has to ruin every Christmas or Thanksgiving because he wants to, to force his views on everybody. And that doesn't sound like good news. That doesn't bring great joy to anybody. Whether it's the evangelist or the victim, I mean the, the one being evangelized. And undoubtedly, there are, are certain people in the church who are really good at some of those things. And, and I think there are those who, who have been gifted, who have been called, who, who can do those things in a way that does win people to Christ. But if, if that's what scares you about evangelizomai, evangelism, then get in line. That, that makes me break out in a cold sweat, too. But the angel says here that this is good news. And it's the kind of good news that's going to bring great joy, happiness. And who's it going to bring great joy to? What does it say? Everyone. All the people. Now, here's the thing about good news. Good news, Terry, doesn't usually bring good joy to everybody. Because, let's say, your favorite team wins the Super Bowl. Good news is a great joy for everybody who roots for your team. But what about those who rooted for the other team? What about those who couldn't care less about football? You know, we, we, we deal with this every election year. If your candidate wins, good news of great joy. Your candidate loses, the country is doomed. Right? If you were to come up to me and say, hey, pastor, I've got great news. I found out I am getting $10,000 back on my taxes. And you know what? I, I'm happy for you. I'll be honest with you, it doesn't really bring me great joy. <laughs> doesn't rock my world. Now, if you follow that up with, and I'm giving half of it to the church, well, that's good news that brings great joy. But, if you turn on the evening news and Ken and Barbie tell you that, hey, the government's just passed a new law, everybody's getting $10,000 back. Now, that's good news on a whole other level, isn't it? But what is it about the angel's announcement that makes this good news for everybody? Well, verse 11 contains the good news. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior has been born. So why is that good news? Why does that bring great joy to all people? Because in who that baby was, and what that baby brought, and what that baby was going to do, it meant for everyone, everywhere, for all time, 
would finally have what everyone everywhere has always needed, but never had before. And that need can be expressed in one simple statement. If you have always wanted to to read through the whole Bible, or you've tried and you got bogged down in Leviticus somewhere, or you've tried to, to put the whole thing together, this one sentence summarizes the whole message of the Bible in one simple statement, and that is this. We are all sinners, and we need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. That's the whole ball of wax right there. We are all sinners. Everyone in here and everyone out there. We're all sinners. We need a Savior. And God has sent that Savior. And His name is Jesus. And that's good news. That's good news for for those of us who are Christians. But you know what else? That's good news for Muslims. That's good news for Hindus. That's good news for, for Buddhists. That's good news for atheists. That's good news for agnostics. That's good news whether you're male or female, black or white. That's good news whether you're Democrat or Republican. That's good news for everyone. See, there's one thing that we need. There's one thing that unites all of the human race. There's one area where we all stand on equal ground, and that is this. We are all messed up. All of us. We were born infected. We were born defected. We were born imperfected. Romans 3.23 puts it this way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of what we could be. We fall short of what we should be, what we know we should be. We fall short of what God wants us to be. We don't measure up. We are sinners. And the good news is that Jesus was born on earth so that those of us born in sin could be born again and that sin could be forgiven, wiped out, done away with forever. And that's good news. And that's good news for everybody. Because the truth is, not everybody's poor and needs more money. You know, if they did pass that law where we all got $10,000, you know what? Bill Gates, he doesn't need more money. Donald Trump doesn't need more money. $10,000 isn't going to make a difference to him. We're not all illiterate and need more education. A college professor doesn't need more education. There is not some deep existential problem that a Ph.D. has that's going to be solved by more time in the classroom. Not all of us are sick and need more medication, but every single one of us is a sinner that needs a Savior. We were all born in sin. We all live in sin. And without Jesus... We're going to die in sin. Jesus is the Savior that we need. And because of Christmas, and because of the message of Christmas, we can share the good news that God sent that Savior. That Savior was born, that He came, 
And that Savior is Jesus. And because of his birth, because of his life, because of his death, and because of his resurrection, we all have the hope of eternal life. So if we want to express Christmas like the angels, first thing we need to do is communicate the good news of Christmas. Second thing we need to do is to concentrate on the great God of Christmas. To focus on the Lord of Christmas. You see, the angel's not done. The angel's not finished. He's got more to say. There's more to this announcement. Jesus is more than just the Savior of the world. He's the heart of the entire mission. Here's the rest of verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, Jesus is not just the Savior. He is Messiah. He is Lord. This is the only place in the whole Bible where these three terms are all used in the same place. Savior, Messiah, Lord. And I find it interesting that the angels nowhere in their announcement use the personal name of Jesus. Jesus is the name that Gabriel gave to Joseph and Mary. But the angels don't say he's Jesus. Instead, they use these three titles. Savior, Messiah, Lord. Messiah is an English translation of the word Christos. And it's from Christos that we also get the word Christ. So Messiah Christ means the same thing. It means anointed one. Christ isn't Jesus' last name, but it's a title. It's his position. It's, it's, it's the position, the role that he fills. Anointed one. What does that mean? Well, in ancient times, when somebody was crowned the king, they would be anointed with, with oil. And that signified that you were being set apart, that there was something special about the king, that this king was apart from everybody else and above everybody else. And Jesus is the one that has been crowned, anointed the king. Well, what is he king of? Well, that's where the term Lord comes in. Lord simply means master, ruler. We might say today, the boss. And you put these three terms together, and basically what it's telling us is is that Jesus is Lord of all. That He is King of everything. That He is King of the universe. You see, the real heart, the real message of the real Christmas is that Jesus is the Lord of Christmas. He is the King of everything. If that baby that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago had been anyone else, Christmas wouldn't matter. Christmas wouldn't be a big deal. If that baby had been anyone else, we wouldn't be gathering to celebrate Christmas. We wouldn't be singing songs in praise of Christmas. Jesus is not special because of Christmas. Christmas is special because of Jesus. 
Jesus is what makes Christmas special. It isn't Santa Claus that makes Christmas special. It isn't Rudolph or Frosty that make Christmas special. It isn't the elf on the shelf that makes Christmas special. Jesus truly is the reason for the season. He's the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Anointed One. He is Lord of all. So if we want to express Christmas like the angels, first we will communicate the good news of Christmas. Secondly, we will concentrate on the great God of Christmas. Thirdly, we will celebrate the glorious hope of Christmas. The next thing that happens here in this story is that God pulls out all the stops. Even the appearance of one angel in all of his glory was an indescribable experience. Last week we talked about bucket list experiences, right? Those once in a lifetime things we get to do. Well, if you get to see even one angel in his unveiled glory, that would be a bucket list item for anyone. But now it's not just one singing telegram of an angel, right? It says that a great company of the heavenly host appeared. And it's an army of angels. It literally means 10,000. The whole sky is filled with angels. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the visual impact of all of these angels and, and how that affected the the shepherds. I don't want to revisit that again, but what I want to focus on here this morning is what they said or what they sang. Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. Now typically we envision the angels singing this. And it's true that the words praising and saying both include the ideas of singing. Praise was often accompanied by music and song. And these words are certainly written in a poetic form, and a poetic style. So I've got no problem with the angels singing this. Christmas carols are certainly appropriate. And if you're looking for the biblical basis for singing Christmas songs, here you go. Although I don't think the angels were envisioning songs about red-nosed reindeer and roasting chestnuts and mama kissing Santa Claus. And I certainly don't think that after this song they broke out in their own rendition of Baby, It's Cold Outside. What's important here, though, isn't whether the angels spoke it or whether they sang it, but it's that they celebrated the hope that Jesus brought humanity. It's not significant what the angels sounded like, although I'm telling you whether they spoke it or sang it, I'm sure it was awesome to hear. You know, to hear the voice of an angel. And if they did sing it, I'm sure it was in perfect pitch. And they sang much better than I do, Dave. You wouldn't mind sitting in front of them in church because they would sound really good, I'm sure. But what's important is what they said, what they sing. It's the words themselves. Because what they promised human beings here on planet Earth are the two greatest gift, gifts that anyone on planet Earth needs. Peace and favor. Peace and favor. Let me talk about that for a second. 
Everyone wants peace on earth, don't they? Yeah. I, you know, over the years, I've watched the Miss America pageant. And it always seemed like, you know, whenever they were interviewing these girls and they would ask them what their hope for the world was or what they wished for, part of the answer was always peace on earth. You know, there's something else, too. You know, I want, you know, fresh potable water for every village in Africa and peace on earth. I want to help out, you know, abused women everywhere, and I want peace on earth. Every person that has ever run for president says they want peace on earth. They promise that they will pursue peace, and they believe that their platform will most likely achieve peace. But it's interesting because every dictator that's ever oppressed his people or fought with his neighbor also says they want peace. They just want peace by their own definition and under their own terms, right? We have been awarding the Nobel Peace Prize for 117 years. We have the United Nations, a global organization supposedly dedicated to the pursuit of peace. We have peace protests. We have peace signs. Everyone from John Lennon to Bob Marley to you 2 has sang about peace on earth. But guess what we still don't have? Peace on earth. So whatever happened to peace on earth? What gives? You see, the 20th century is now documented as being the bloodiest century in human history. All of our science and all of our technology just basically came up with more and better ways to kill more people. And then today, what do we have? We have global terrorism, ethnic conflict, civil war, violent extremism and mass shootings. From the streets of Paris to the rubble-filled cities of Syria to the bloody classrooms of American schools, from the concert halls of London and Paris to Las Vegas. Peace still eludes us. So what's the problem? Well, part of the problem is this, that the peace we're looking for is not the peace that the angels sang about. And we're talking about two different things. You see, peace does not mean the absence of trouble. It doesn't mean the absence of conflict. True peace is the presence of something. It is the presence of justice. It is the presence of hope. It is the presence of love. And where do those things ultimately come from? Let me tell you, they don't come from a piece of paper signed by multiple foreign powers. See, we're looking for peace that money can buy. We're looking for peace that can be negotiated by selfish and lying politicians. We're looking for peace that can be temporarily found from drugs and alcohol. We're looking for peace that's found by talking out our troubles on a therapist's couch. But none of that is lasting peace. True peace only comes from the Prince of Peace. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It is the presence of Jesus. That's true peace. True peace is not the absence of trouble. It is the presence of Jesus. And when you finally have peace with God, and you're finally right with God, and you know that you have the peace of God, 
And you have that peace even when trouble is all around you. And you will never have complete peace in this life until you are at peace with the one who brought you into this life. That's peace. Everything else is only temporary. Everything else is only a disguise. The second gift promised by the angels is favor. Peace and favor. And and favor here, this is not like (coughs) doing somebody a favor. The idea here is grace. Grace. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. God doesn't owe it to you. It's freely given. Because God is a loving and generous God. And because of Jesus... We have the peace of God and we have the grace of God. And there is nothing like going to bed at night and your head hitting that pillow and knowing that no matter what happens to you, it's okay. That even if something were to happen to you in the middle of the night, it's okay because you know at that moment that you would be more alive than you have ever been before. And there's nothing like waking up in the morning and whether you're heading straight to the office or you're going out to the barn to feed the pigs, or you're hitting the drive-thru to get your morning caffeine and your sausage and egg biscuit, you know I have the grace of God. And no matter what happens today, I'm okay. And no matter what anybody says today, it's okay, because I have a God that will say to me someday, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's grace. And you have those things. Because of what Jesus has done for you. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on your personality. It's not based on your position. It's based on Jesus. And that He came and He lived a perfect life. And He died in your place on the cross. He took your place in the grave. And He rose again so that someday you can share His place in heaven. That's what it's all about. That's grace. Now, I try very hard in the month of December to avoid going to the store and to avoid going to the mall. Sometimes it can't be helped, though. But when I go, it is absolute nuts. People are insane. And and you watch everybody hurrying, scurrying, worrying, and you have all of these people spending money they don't really have to buy stuff for people that a lot of times they don't really want. And over here you have this angel saying, you don't need all that. You don't need the mall. You don't need the store. You don't need Amazon. Peace and joy isn't to be found in any of that. Because I have peace and I have grace. And all of it's to be found in this little baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago. And it's all because of who that baby was and what that baby did. And it's all absolutely free. All you have to do is receive it. It's like a gift under the tree. You don't have to do anything for that gift. All you have to do is open it and receive it and use it. And that is where you will find hope. 
And that is worth celebrating. And we all have it. And so Crystal, even though his gift might not come until the 29th, and even though some of you are probably going to get into some fights with relatives this week, and even though you're going to work really hard on a dish and it's going to come out burned, and even though the kids are going to be wake up on the wrong side of the bed, or they're going to be in there at 4 a.m., hey, let's open presents! Despite all of that, we still have reason to celebrate this morning. Don't lose sight of that. We're going to sing a song of invitation and commitment. And as we sing this song, I just want this to be a moment here where can you please push all of the clutter aside? I know some of you still have a to-do list before Tuesday that's a mile long. Put it aside. Some of you are kind of anxious about what's going to happen over the next two or three days with the traveling to be done and the people that are coming. Put all that aside. Focus on the only thing that really matters right now. And that's that God loved you enough to send His very own Son as one of us to live for you, to die for you, so that we could live with Him. That's what matters. As we sing this song, if you need to pray with somebody today, Roy and Carmen will be up here at the cross. We have a couple of our Stephen ministers, Teresa and Sean, back here. You can go pray with them. I'll be 